now. You gotta be kidding me. I'm like, what in the world? What is that about? And, and I'm, this is, I mean, I was saved, but I wasn't quite sanctified yet. You know what I mean? I was growing in sanctification and my blood pressure. And I could just feel the color of my skin. It was just turning red. I was getting so mad. And after about two minutes, I just couldn't contain it and it burst. And I grabbed my wife and I said, these guys are crazy. And I turned my chair. And I grabbed my wife and I went storming out the door. And, and I, I, I wasn't calming down yet. I wasn't done with this guy. I'm like getting really mad. I'm driving. Uh, who is he? Thank you. Yes. And, and I turned my car back around. And I pull up into that parking lot. My wife is trying to hold on to my arm. And I said, I'm going in there. I'm going to get that guy a piece of my mom. I'm going to tell him in the middle of his church, you don't do that to me. I'm God. I'm you know. And I make my way. I'm storming up to the front door. And the moment I go to grab that handle, this usher that had, been, had helped escort me out, he was standing right there, and he locked that door. <laughs> I'm banging on you bunch. I, I, you know. Ah, the church. <laughs> New beginnings. I realized at that moment how important my decision to be part of a church family really was. It wasn't just something I just kind of leave to circumstance or to chance. And, and at that moment, man, I realized this was a really serious deal that my wife and I were venturing into, just the decision to find the right church for our family to be. And, and so I want to talk to you this morning about new beginnings, the beginning of the church. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want, not just about the beginning of the church, I want to talk about the church. Everyone say the church. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Now, we are, you're following along in the story. We've been on a journey. We've been on a journey. This is actually week number 28, and we have three more weeks to go. And after three weeks, we will have been from Genesis to Revelation, and we really have, have communicated and as a family, as a church family, discovered God's grand and glorious purpose for his people in our generation. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 2, and we're going to begin with verse number 38, and can you stand with me in honor of the reading, God, of reading God's word? Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse number 38. And the Bible says, Peter replied, repent, everyone say repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Everyone say next generation. And with many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Praising God. Everyone say, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all. Everyone say all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's my one big idea. I want you to hear this this morning. The church. Everyone say the church. God's only hope to change your life and our world. 
God's only hope to change your life and our world. Our pastoral prayer this morning is for our campaign that we've launched here over the last several weeks called Reach. Everyone say Reach. City Church has experienced the favor of God. And over the last couple of years, we've had really exponential growth, and we're out of room. And our church family is looking for a new home. And we've been diligently searching, and we made an offer on a property not too far from here. And it's in a negotiation stage right now, and our lawyer is trying to secure it this week. And so we're going to pray. We're going to pray for all the parties involved. We're going to pray that God really gives us wisdom and favor as we continue to, to desire to reach out, to reach so that God's grace can reach more and more people in our city and community and our world. Let's pray this morning. Father, we thank you this morning for the power of your word. We thank you, Lord, that as a church family, we can gather together and worship and praise the name of your son, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that what you have done in in our lives, Lord, it's not just for us, but it's for those who are still outside. God, who still have stories that need to be changed by your grace and power. God, I thank you today that you've called us to reach, to reach larger, to reach farther. God, to see more people come into your kingdom to experience the life-changing power that only you can give. Lord, I thank you that we've gathered together as a family to worship you. Now, God, I'm asking that you give those who are in the seats today spiritual ears to hear. God, that you'll give them ears to hear, but God, you'll also give me a mouth to speak. God, that my words wouldn't be my words, but they would become your words in the hearts and the ears of those who hear. I need you today, Lord. Bless your people. Let your grace continue to be with us as we break the word of God open together today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. Jesus, the point of history, Jesus has risen from the dead just like he said. Ten days later, after the disciples had gathered in Jerusalem, waiting at the Feast of Pentecost, waiting for God's Spirit to come, the the Holy Spirit comes, and and there's great power. And then they wait, they wait, and Pentecost comes, and these men's lives are radically changed. They're radically changed by the power of God. You see, from the very beginning of time, God had an upper story. The upper story is that God had a plan. The Bible says that from the foundation of the world, the plan of God was that he would redeem men, bring him back into right relationship with him. And he would use his son, the sinless lamb of God, to do it. The upper story from the very beginning, you see, God doesn't make mistakes. God is perfect in everything that he does. And the church of the Lord Jesus Christ was not an afterthought. It wasn't like he made these peculiar people, these Jewish people that came from the line of Abraham. And then, oh, they didn't quite do it right. And then so God had to reformulate his plan and then create a new people. No, 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 no. From the beginning of time, God had a plan for all people. That was to call all people back to himself so they could have a relationship with him. The lower story is your life and my life. Walking this thing out on a daily basis. You know, Going to work and taking care of our families and being in relationship with our spouses and doing the activities that we do as, as people in our culture and our communities on a daily basis. The lower story is how this thing we call the church works out in our daily expression of faith as we follow the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, I've been in this thing, I've been in the way for a while now. And I know that there are a lot of concepts and ideas that people have about the church. This word church is so nebulous. You can go on the internet today and almost any time something about religion is posted, you can see all the trolls and all the comments and all the opinions that people have about the church. 
And sometimes people have some right perspectives, but I got to tell you, it's really easy to give your opinion. It's very, very challenging to actually make a difference. It's really, really easy to, to express what you think something should be, but to actually get in and to make a difference and to, to be, to be something that has the power to bring change into your world. That's a whole nother world. And I found that over the years, people have some different concepts and ideas about the church. And I was just thinking, I was actually preparing this week, and I, uh, I came across this concept. This, this guy talked about what some of the concepts that people have in relationship to the church. And one of the things that people think the church is like sometimes is they think it's like a movie theater. They think, like, you know, hey, we're going to go check out this movie today. And, you know, I hear it's pretty good. It's got, you know, rotten tomatoes. It has, like, a full plump one, or it's got... You know, or maybe it's just kind of a flat green one, or, you know, maybe it's got two thumbs up or one thumb up, one thumb down. You know, it's the Roger Ebert thing, you know. And, and so they go into a movie theater, and they're just a, they're the audience. They're a spectator. They're just watching the movie. They wait for the scroll. The movie comes on. Some people get shot. And people fall in love, and blah, blah, blah. They leave, and then they get their little, you know, they, 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 they Facebook that they were at the movie. Now they leave the movie. They give their opinion about the movie, and, and, you know, they, so many times people will leave a church and they're like the Roger and Ebert of the church world. They're like professional critics. Well, that was a little loud and that pastor didn't say it quite right. And, but that was okay here. And, that was, and we have all these opinions about the church. And we think like the movie's a church, like a, a movie theater. And I got to tell you, this is, not a, this is not an audience spectator thing. This thing is a participation of a group of people who've been called by the name of Jesus. But so many times we think it's just kind of like we're just the audience and we're waiting for the show to start. Now, we have some wonderful, wonderful young people that lead us into worship here every week. And we are so grateful for the reality of what God has done in our church as we've sought to reach the next generation. But i got to tell you, this thing isn't about a performance. This thing is about an expression of worship to the true God. And so some people think it's like a movie theater. Sometimes people think it's like a department store. You know, they're going to go shopping. We're just going to go church shopping today. They get their little card out, or like my wife, she brings her little bag. You know, we go to Aldi's, or this last week we, we had Monday off, and so uh, she wanted to, I wanted to go to the park, and, and she wanted to go to the Mall Millennium. So who do you think won? <laughs> I can tell you what I know about the Mall I know every place you can get free coffee at the Mall Millennium. I know where you can get a free bottle of water and a hot chocolate chip cookie. <laughs> I know the perfect hammock to sit at the Millennium Mall. Uh, you can just, she can shop, and I can just sit in a hammock and close my eyes and just relax. I, I, know that, I know that mall pretty good. Now, her concept of shopping is not really, from my perspective, it's not shopping because it's just looking, you know. We look here, we look there, we look at this store, we look at this store, we look at this store. My concept of shopping is seek and destroy and kill. <laughs> just get it on. And I got one store that I go to around here. It's called Costco. I'm a Costco shopper. I'm not going to lie. Almost everything I not almost everything, almost everything that I buy. And I, you know, I got my list. I got six things. I got to go this, this, and this. I grab my car. I can do my Christmas shopping for everybody: sisters, cousins, nephews, uncles, aunts, grand. I can all. I can do it in an hour because I just go to Costco. It's a one. I am on a mission. I'm on a conquer. And my wife, man, she's going shop. We're going. We're just going to go church shopping. Ah, that's all cool, and I get our culture, and I, I get where we're at, but that's really, that's not what it's about, because shoppers are about consuming. They're about me, and that's, that's not what the church is about. We're not just consumers. We're givers. 
Sometimes people think the church is kind of like a, a restaurant. I worked in the restaurant business for 10 years. I, I know restaurants pretty well, and I know when there's, you know, a person comes in and they're hungry, and, and, and my service is dependent. My, my tip is the, dependent on who, how good my service is. So a lot of people go into a restaurant, you know, and they're tasting the meal. If the meal's good and they Facebook, that was a good place. That was a bu-. They go to Yelp. I shouldn't say Facebook. Most people use Yelp for, for one of those kind of media sites for, you know, looking up if this is a good restaurant to go to. And, and they go to a restaurant. They become a connoisseur. Now, the problem with a restaurant is, is that in order for you to eat at that restaurant, you have to pay when you leave. <laughs> Fact is, uh, when you come to church, most people think it's kind of free food. <laughs> Free buffet. I got my kids over here. Hey, got, you know, somebody else will pay my bill, or somebody else will make sure the lights get on this week. And that's, you know, it's again, it's about consumption, and that's just not the church. Uh, sometimes people will, will kind of, you know, they think about the church and they kind of compare. I'll put the next slide up for you. Help me out there. They'll think of the church as a gas station. <laughs> well, man, I haven't been to church in three. Oh, three weeks? I thought it was just a week. It seemed like yeah, I was just there last week. Yeah. Hey, my, my, my spiritual tank is getting just a little bit low. Ah, man, I, you know, I had a really tough week. I got in a fight with my wife. Got something didn't work out at my job. Man, I better go to church. I need to get my, my spiritual tank refilled. And so we come, and, and it's an awesome thing to come to church and to be in an atmosphere of worship and the presence of God in here. And I've got to tell you guys, it's one of the benefits of being part of the family of God. When there's an expression of worship and praise to be renewed and to re- recharge, that's an awesome thing. But the church isn't a gas station because most people go to the gas station, and the only time they notice the gas station is when their tank is low or when gas prices are starting to drop like they are right now, right? I mean, you try, hey, it's 307 today. Ooh, yeah. I don't care what's happened with the Saudi Arabians. I want the gas prices to go down. You know, we want lower gas. We want cheaper gas. Other than that, man, we don't really think about the gas until... We need it. That's not what the church is either. Sometimes we, people see the church as a political party, an instrument to rally people to a certain cause or to a certain party or, or to a certain political agenda. I've got to tell you today, that is not what the church is about. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Jesus walked on planet Earth, he messed both sides up. He had the liberals of the Sadducees. He had the, the conservatives with the, with the Pharisees. And man, he was just slapping them both upside the head. He's got them all messed up. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. A person has never been born again because someone was holding a placard. A person was, was never delivered from drugs and alcohol because someone went out there and went to the ballot box and voted. It just doesn't work that way. People get saved. People get healed. Lives get changed when the power of God enters into a person's life through the person of Jesus. That's what changes the human hearts. That's what changes the destiny of men. The church is not a political entity. The church is the body of Christ, the living Lord Jesus. Sometimes people see the church as a gym. Now, gyms are a good thing. I have a gym membership. <laughs> but one thing I know about the gym, one thing I know, I know they want guys like me to go, <laughs> guys that aren't yeah, not really in shape. But when I go to the gym, everybody in that gym is in shape. I see the, you know, the girls up there, they're on the thing, and they're riding their bike on elliptical. I see the guys over there benching more weight than I could ever dream. I mean, I, I mean not even my wildest dream could I get that much weight out. I walk to a gym, and the guys are like this, and... The, you know, I'm like, whoa, man, that's, oof, give me a, give me a towel. 
Give me a big bathrobe. I'll walk to the gym. <laughs> uh, sometimes people think like the church is like a gym. You know, people are all spiritually fit and everyone's got their happy face on. Everybody. Ah, the fact is, that's just not a reality. The fact is that we come in here in all kinds of places and all kinds of positions and stations of life with hurts and pains and habits and struggles. And the reality of the church is a place where God is the only hope of the person who walked through that door. The church is not a gym. The church is a house that God is building as spiritual people that are pursuing their King Jesus. Someone said amen this morning. You know, I, I thought a lot about this, this reality of the church and and the word in the Greek church just simply means ekklesia. It means called out. Ones who have been called out of darkness. Called out of darkness and been brought to God's marvelous light. The actual word that we use in the English for church is, is the, a word that literally means the Lord's people or the Lord's house. The Lord's people or the Lord's house. That's what the church is. The church is the Lord's people who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous name. Called out of darkness and brought into the light of God's presence and the light of God's power. You know, when we looked at this model in Acts chapter 2, what we see is a blueprint. Everyone say a blueprint? You want to hand me that set of blueprints? Every building. Now, I had a friend of mine that built a building without a set of blueprints, and it didn't go well for him. <laughs> he did. He actually tried to build He tried to build a house without blueprints, and uh, the county made him come in and dissemble everything that he did. But here's a set of blueprints. This is uh, West Orlando Baptist Church. It's a sanctuary. I don't know. Thank you. Marcus is back there. Marcus brought these for me. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen a set of blueprints. I got this, I got this upside down. That's how good I am with blueprints there. But, uh, but you can look at this set of blueprints here. And this got some really specific measurements. And the fact is, these measurements are really, really important because the measurements here talk about, you know, the, 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 the breadth and the, the length and the depth and, and how far the walls are supposed to be part and the studs and the footers. And it has all these different numbers on here that represent different things to the people that are going to work on the different parts of this building. And it's perfect. As a matter of fact, if the blueprint is off, your building is going to have a big problem. I mean, a big problem. I, when we lived in Seattle, there was a building. It was a beautiful glass building. It was like 15, 20 stories. And uh, they never opened the doors of the building. They built this whole building. It was incredible. They built the whole building. And today that building is no longer there. You know why? Because when they built the building, they, the blueprints weren't designed to withstand an earthquake that they predict that's going to hit the Seattle-Washington area. That building never opened its door because the blueprint was wrong. See... God had a blueprint. That's the spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is to go through the story in the book of Acts is that God has a perfect blueprint. But the natural fact is the blueprints are hardly ever followed perfectly. This floor has a, this has a slub floor, a concrete floor. And I guarantee you, you can, you can measure the concrete from this side of the floor to that side of the floor and there can be a half an inch difference, an inch difference. You can look at these walls. They're over 33 high. Uh, the peak is over 33 feet high. And if you were to measure from the floor to the top of that wall, you could probably get across maybe two inches difference. You know, the side walls are nine feet high. And this one here might be eight foot, ten and a half. And this one here might be nine foot one. And guess what? It still works. See, that's the natural reality. The blueprint is perfect. The blueprint is uh, the building was perfect. But the guys that were building, they weren't perfect. They made a few mistakes. 
And the fact is, the fact is today, God uses imperfect people in imperfect ways to accomplish His purpose through the church on planet Earth today. Come on, amen. Well, that's better than that. <laughs> the church of Jesus Christ, the blueprint is perfect. The marks of the true church, the marks of the true church have never changed. The reality of the church, the blueprint that God laid out has never changed. The first thing that we see about the church in verse number 38 is that the church is a place where people's lives are changed. The first thing that we see is this guy, Peter, his life was changed. Can you just take that from me before I have to roll out all of them myself? This guy, Peter, he stands up and he preaches. Now, what do we know about Peter? I mean, 50 days, 55 days before this, I mean, Peter is being challenged for his faith and he denies Jesus. Right? He denies Jesus. He's in the garden. He's wanna, he cuts off somebody's ear. He's, he, he denies. He curses. He's, he's a coward when it comes to being a follower of Christ. I mean, not even two months before this, we see this coward all of a sudden encounter a risen Savior by the power of the Holy Spirit, and his life was radically changed. And what I want you to know about the church today is that the church of Jesus Christ is all about changed lives. And we call this being born again. And when we call this, we call this the power of God comes into our lives and he changes us from the inside out. God changed Peter. We saw in our little video the testimony of a guy by the name of Paul. I mean, look at Paul's life. He's, 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 he's so religious. He's so into everybody doing it exactly the way that he thinks it should be done. He's full of anger. And the Bible says that he consents to the death of believers. He was there at the stoning of Stephen. Jesus comes. Come on. If Jesus can't save the violent sinner, if Jesus can't save the murder, the rapist, the drug addict, the whatever, the pornographer, if Jesus can't save the adulterer and the homosexual, Jesus can't save you and I. The blood of Jesus has the power to set the captive free. Someone said amen. Paul encountered Jesus and his life was changed. That's the first thing you got to know about the church. The church is about changed lives. It's about you, your family, and all those who are far off experiencing the power and the grace of Jesus. The second thing that I want you to see, the second mark of a true church, is that the church is a place of biblical teaching. We call this discipleship. In verse number 42, it says, They devoted. Everyone say devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. They devoted themselves. Devotion. Completely committed to studying these things. To studying the truth of who Jesus was. What is the Apostles' Doctrine? The Apostles' Doctrine, the Bible says in Acts chapter 5, as they went through the Old Testament and they showed all these places who Jesus was. The Apostles' Doctrine had to do with the truth of who Jesus is. The fact is today, Jesus is the living Son of God. You've got to know this. You've got to believe this. I was sitting in Starbucks on Thursday with my wife and, and a couple of the young girls from our church, and this lady walks right up to me, right up to me, and she hands me this pamphlet, and she starts to talk to me about her belief, her faith. She's called the Jehovah Witness. She was so bold. She's bolder than any, just any Christian. And she just took my hand, and, and I looked at her, and I said, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is God. I had a great big smile. And I took her hand and I said that Jesus, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through him because Jesus is the exact 
representation. He's the fullness of the Godhead bodily on planet Earth. She's like, oh, 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 oh. I said, oh, thank you, ma'am. I, I appreciate your time, but I'm going to finish drinking my coffee. I didn't want to get into an argument right there with her. But the fact is, the fact is, the truth is, Jesus is the living Son of God. He is God in the flesh. He's God with human skin on him. What did they teach? They taught the apostles' doctrine of who Jesus really is. The fact is, Jesus is the way, the narrow way. There is no other way unto salvation. This isn't a pluralistic Bible. This is a narrow Bible. And the the broad is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. Jesus was really clear. The truth was really clear. They were devoted. In Acts chapter 17, it says that the, 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 it says these people, the Bereans, the Berean Jews were more, of more noble character than the Thessalonians because they received the message. They studied the scriptures. They read their Bible. I came here first service. There was a guy out there with his phone app and he's studying the Bible. He's got his Bible open. He's looking at the passage in 2 Corinthians and He's trying to find a commentary. I want you to know more about what Paul was talking about, the thorn in the flesh. That guy wants to know the Word. He's eager. You see, the Word has the power to change your life. D.L. Moody once said, this book is the only book that will keep you from sin. And sin is the only thing that will keep you from this book. Ignorance is not a virtue. As a matter of fact, in Acts, it says they were more noble. You know why I like that word noble? Because in the Greek, the word noble is Eugene. E-U-G-E-N-S. Got a little squiggly over the E there. Eugenius. That's what it is. Eugenius. I like a bunch of Eugenius. <laughs> I like that name. Makes me, makes me, makes me want to carry, you know, it's not a nerd name anymore. It's a, it's a noble name now. <laughs> they were more noble. Why? Because they studied. They were eager. They were hungry for the word of God. Jesus said, Jesus said, I am the word. I'm the bread of life. Jesus said, if you eat of this bread, you will hunger again. But if you eat of this bread, you will never hunger again. They study the Word. We're we're about making disciples, followers of Jesus. The next mark that we see of a disciple is that the believers were gathered together and they shared their lives. We call this fellowship. Look at verse 42 and 46. And they broke bread. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They broke bread. And the Jewish, these, remember, these are Jews, right? These are Jewish people. They understood this whole concept of bread because they had a table in the tabernacle. They had a table in the temple. It was a small little table made out of acacia wood. It was covered with gold, and they had 12 loaves. And those 12 loaves on there represented the 12 tribes of Israel, but they also represented life. If you were to go to a Hasidic community or, or an Orthodox community today, when they eat bread, they always eat bread they always drink wine, the bread and wine together. We were, a couple of years ago, we went to a Shabbat service, my, my wife and I, my family, the rabbi up in uh, Ormond Beach, and, and, and they always have a meal together. The Jewish community at the end of the service, they always have a meal together. And the rabbi took the bread, and he talked about the significance of the bread, the life that's in the bread, the life, the abundance in the wine, the joy that comes from having fellowship. And there's something powerful when Christians sit down at a table and have fellowship with one another. There's something that happens when you get in community. My challenge to every person here is that you've got to have a brother and sister in Christ that you're in fellowship with. 
You've got to have someone in your life that you can share life. Yeah, you, and families, you, your, your, your families are connected. They're, I think there's so many ways here at City Church for people to connect and all the different opportunities and ministries. I was looking through all the small groups that are offered here at City Church. There's so many places because you're really going to experience the life of what it is to be a follower of Jesus. You've got to be in community with other believers. You've got to be in fellowship. There's life in that. When you're sick, when you've got a problem. My best friend in Canada, we've been friends since Bible college, and, and he can call me. He called me yesterday. He was really struggling with an issue. He called me on the phone. He prayed with me right then. If you have a person in your life that you can pick up the phone and say, hey, I need some help today. Man, I'm not doing well. I'm struggling with this area. Can you pray for me? See, that's what communion is. That's what, that's what real communion That's the ability to share life together. Sharing community. Sharing life together. Then I want you to see, I want you to see this next thing here. The church was a place where the believers prayed and praised God. We call this worship. We call this worship. They devoted themselves to prayer and praising God. (laughs) Prayer. Communion, talking to God. Relationship with Him. City Church has been built on prayer. Our staff, we we have anywhere from 10, 15, 20 people Monday through Friday, and we pray every single day in here, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Because I know the churches, we do a lot of things, a lot of activities that go on, take place in our lives, but one of the last things that we tend to do as believers is to pray. And I just, I've committed myself as the pastor of this church from our very beginning. We've built this on a foundation of prayer. I walked in here Tuesday morning, and, and, and after we prayed, there were some intercessors. There were some people in here, they were just praying. I came in here last night, and Miranda and I, we go over the service and work all the PowerPoint, make sure everything's right, and we're preparing because we had some very honored guests that were going to be here today, and we wanted to welcome you. We wanted to make sure things are right. The table was set. It looked okay. And I walked into this room, and there were young people all of a sudden just praying. Worship music going on. Sewer house of prayer. Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. We can make church about all kinds of things, but if the church isn't about prayer, guess what? There is no power. And if there is no power, there are no lives being changed. And we're not just a social agency. We are the agent for change in our generation because human lives are at stake. The destiny of families is at stake. The destinies of nations is at stake. God has called His people to pray. And as a family man, I want to challenge you. When you sit down at your table to have a meal, pray. I mean, Jesus, before he ate, he prayed. Come on, you go to a restaurant, somebody's looking around, make sure nobody's looking around. I mean, I love, I love going to my boys because they don't care who's around. They just pray boldly. Come on, just pray. People talk about everything else boldly. Why not just pray boldly? Pray. And then they begin to praise. Ha <laughs> ha. There's something that's released in the spiritual realm when we begin to give thanks to God. The psalmist declared, God inhabits the praises of His people. And as they begin to lift their voice in praise, the Bible says that there was great awe. There was great awe among the people. And then there were signs and wonders. There were miracles. There was a demonstration of God's presence and power released among these believers. You know why? Because they knew where their source was. They knew that it wasn't them. They knew that there was a God that loved people and cared for people. And because of that, 
they release the praise and worship to God. And when the praise goes up, guess what, folks? Heaven comes down. Jesus prayed that we were to, Jesus, we were to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. We want the earth that we live and walk into, inhabit and experience the presence of Jesus. They praised. There's something powerful driving down your car, going down the road. Just put it in praise music. Come on. There's just something powerful about the presence of God that you welcome into your life. The last thing that I want you to see, the church is a place where believers, they share their stuff. We call this generosity. In verse number 44 and 45, it says the believers were together and had everything in common. They were united together by this identity, this common identity of Jesus. You look across this room at people from every nationality, from every walk of life, from every kind of position, every kind of belief of politics in their world. But what unites us together today is our faith in Jesus. It's our faith in Jesus. And then something happened. What I know about believers today, people that have been touched by God, people that have really been changed in their hearts, they, they're generous. They live open-handed. They just, they're generous. Because there's a faith that's released when you say, God, everything I have belongs to you. You begin to trust God. You see your neighbor next door has a need. I, I've, I've seen it in our church. I've seen the generosity of one friend taking care of another friend's need. I, I've seen it in our church. One brother, one brother gave a car to another brother that didn't have a car. I've seen that with my own eyes right in our own church family. We don't get it up here and wave banners and flags because that's what religious people want to do. We just do it. We just do it. We live generously. There's a great video clip that went around the went viral this week. It was the Bible College, someplace of uh, Westland Bible College, place in Indiana. And the guy that was speaking decided to use an object lesson. He called Domino's and ordered two pizzas for like 3,000 students. And then he brought this Domino guy up and he said, "We want to give you a tip." All the students just give an offering real quick. And like, it was like $1,268. Here's this Domino guy standing there. They were, had all these notes, and they came up and they handed him cash. And he, I mean, this guy just like, he just like walked in like, what? <laughs> like, who wants to be a millionaire or something? And he was he like stunned. And they were just trying to create, you know, the, use, use an illustration about generosity. And I thought that was really cool. But, you know, God wants us to do that on a daily basis. You know, that generous spirit. Proverbs is a generous spirit will prosper. I'm not here to tout an ideology or belief, but I do want a belief about prosperity. But what I do want you to know is that God loves to bless the generous. God loves it because if he can get it through you, he'll get it to you. If God can get it through you, release it, live generously with others, God will bless. It's It's the promise of God. It's how God works. They live generously. Radical generosity. So what? All right, everyone say, so what? All right, so what do I do with this? Where do I take this today? Well, at City Church, if you're new here, we have a process we call the growth track. Everyone say growth track. And this is how you start to move forward in this blueprint, in this divine blueprint that God has for you. This is how you start to move forward. Our 101 is discovering City Church. Our 201 is discovering the truth about the Bible, God's Word, and how to study it. Our Three, our 3.0 class is about, is about discovering how God designed you and the gifts so that you can serve and give back to others. And 4.0 is how to share your testimony with the world. This is the process. This is, if you have not been part of this process, I'm going to challenge you today. I'm going to challenge you today. Get part of this. Take the next step in God. 
See, the fact is today, the difference, the difference between an attender and a member of the body of Christ, not the member of a church, but the member of a body of Christ, is one word, commitment. Commitment. Commitment to that which Jesus died for. Jesus loved the church. Jesus loves the church. Jesus died for the church. Jesus is calling you to love that which He loved. Jesus loved people. Therefore, God has called us to love people which are reflective and a representation of God on planet earth through the power of the Holy Spirit. That is the people of God that we call the Lord's people or the church. God's calling you that today. He's calling us that as a body to love that which He loves. God's calling us to that. God's calling us to commit to that. Commit to that group people who have identified themselves as Christ followers. People that are committed, you know what they do? <laughs> you know what they do? They do exactly what we talked about. They're part of the process of seeing lives changed. They, they, the people that are committed to that, they, they worship Jesus. They, they study the scriptures. They, they're, they're, they have a devotion to the ways and the things of God. They, they, they commune. They have fellowship with other believers. They live generously. They live open-handed. I want you to close your eyes this morning. God's working in this place. This is not about membership Sunday, nothing like that. This is just about taking your next step in God. I don't know where you are today.